Welcome to uh, our second podcast, uh, The Enlightened Working Class, with me, Pasco Sawyers, and... Me, Duncan. How's it going, Pask? You've yeah. been using any of that slang we did last week? Giving women at work the glad eye, chirpsing. Tell anyone they're looking, Chris. No, 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 no. I've reflected on that, actually, and uh, and I thought I've definitely not got to use that in popular speech. But what I did do, interestingly enough, is that I gave a talk yesterday. I had to do a presentation at work. It was about uh, community engagement and it was about how you get soft intelligence from um, organisations or, or, or groups who don't want to talk to the powers that be. And I managed to slip the word uh, ready eye in. And uh, it was quite quite interesting because I sort of had a, get, had a, a look around. No, I, I had a look around the audience and most people were like, you know, it sounded good. I think they like, you know, what it actually sounds like as a word. But you could see one or two were like, yeah, yeah, respect. Get in there. Respect. Yeah. After last week's episode, which I videoed on the phone, I then had to spend the weekend rebooting the phone because it went down completely. Unbelievable. Don't you got to get your head around this new technology, man? It is a thing. It's a real thing. Listen, I was struggling, so I went to see my tech guy, Doctor Ed, and while it was rebooting and downloading, which took four hours, we went for a walk. Did you walk much, Pask? Uh, I walk quite a lot, Dunk, especially since I got my Fitbit, which is not what you might think it is. It's uh, it's my watch that measures my, uh, you know. Where's your watch? Just anywhere? Uh, yeah, I walk. Uh, I walk from uh, where I live up to Sudbury and back. It's about a mile and a half. I do it quite regularly. I really enjoy it. Not it? just for the physical thing, actually, but as much for the mental thing. Oh, interesting. Men of a similar age got into walking. Now, I, I got into walking myself this year. I hadn't walked anywhere like over like half a mile for 20 years. But I bought myself a pair of walking boots, and last year I walked a section of the Camino Way. You heard of that? No. Right, so it's the pilgrimage to Santiago de Compostela in northern Spain. Um, the, the, all the pilgrims that you live in monasteries, uh, or you sleep in monasteries, all that. I did about 120 miles in 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 a week. Wow. Um, very interesting. But usually in London, a couple of times a week, I'm up I'm up up on Hansted Heath walking the dog. Um, and I go off trail in the woods, you know, what a place that Hampstead Heath is. Amazing ancient trees there. I find it's good for the soul. Mm-hmm. And while I'm there, I'm also checking out the bird life, but it's not so great for that. I find mainly crows, magpies, and parakeets. So do you have your binoculars with you, Dunk? You know what, I'll tell you what it is, it's all from my dad this, right? He used to make me listen to bird song albums. <laughs> right, <laughs> I could okay. never identify anything. <laughs> um, no, I need some binoculars though. But anyway, back for the trees, so what you see there is, uh, back for the birds, you see mainly crows, magpies and parakeets. You familiar with these parakeets? Yeah, they're like parrots, aren't they? Yeah, there's loads of them all over the place. What, Hampstead Heath? <laughs> all, over, all over West London. What, are they like foxes, like, you know, just sort of taking over from nowhere? I've never seen a parakeet out in the wild. More like, more like, more like grey squirrels. Yeah, OK. Yeah. So everywhere you go, they make, they make a tremendous noise. Um, and there's a, bit of a, there's a bit of a story about them. One of the one of the one of the reasons that given for them being here was um, it relates to the filming of, of uh, the film of African Queen in 1951, um, and they reckon they escaped from the set in Ealing Studios, and they multiplied since then. Is that Humphrey Bogart? Yeah, it is. Was yeah. that filmed in Ealing Studios? Apparently, apparently. Oh apparently. right, okay. Uh, at least that's the Wikipedia entry on okay, it. Okay, cool. Anyway, walking, walking. <laughs> so this, I'm waiting for my phone to like um, to reboot. And I've gone walking with my friend, Dr. Ed, in Queen's Park. Now, it's early on Saturday morning, probably about half nine. And as we're walking, there's loads of people training in groups and on their own, doing boot camps, boxing, all sorts of things. I think that's amazing. And here's the thing. They were 90% women. 
Wow, okay. And Dr. Ed has a theory about this. He reckons that women are becoming fitter and stronger and that they're surpassing men with one ultimate goal. What is that, Duncan? What is that ultimate goal? To end up on top in the coming gender war. Dr. Red, right? Dr. Red. Dr. Red. <laughs> One of his theories, he, he sees it us losing this in the future as men. We're all going to end up in camps, playing sport and being brought out occasionally for breeding. Doesn't sound too bad in my book. But do you think this is a valid topic for debate? I think it's a valid topic for debate. I think Dr. Red's a little bit, uh, a little bit defensive, um, but I do think it is a valid topic for debate. I think actually one of the the the, the points I'd, I'd say first of all about it is this assumption that women are, in the first place, the weaker sex. Yeah, yeah. Because where does that come from? Where where's the evidence for that? Why would anyone think that? Yeah, well, I think it's in the past world where physical labour was needed. Um, obviously, there's a, there's a there's a difference in um, strength to a certain degree. Hmm. Um, woman, there is in the home. Um, yeah. Woman as a mother, woman as raising children, etc. But things are changing. Well, I mean, it's so complex. I mean, so for a start, the fact that the woman is the one who gives birth to children, to me, feels like a very powerful thing in terms of humanity and society. And it's just the way we choose to value things like physical um, and so on. But actually, um, I think there's 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 evidence uh, out there, which I haven't got to, at my fingertips, which suggests that, that, that women are pretty physically strong themselves in a different way maybe um and also it's, it's it is a known fact isn't it that in almost any circumstance or situation in the world women live longer than men they they, they do um you know i think of i think of the exercise that i take now as a as an older man in his 50s um i do yoga do pilates the classes are always full of women mm -hmm. and they're always very good at very strong in the core i find yeah um and I think certainly with men of our age, what, what you often find is that they're burnt out. Old injuries, um, you know, may be caused by playing like rougher sports when you're younger, um, rugby, football, etc. And we haven't looked after ourselves properly. Yeah. Um, and the kind of flush of youth um, dissipates. The traditional men's... And suddenly, um, um, look at the women, yeah, they're bending and moving the games into. we play. Are they beneficial? Um for, for are they beneficial for life in general okay you play football for example mm -hmm. you play football it's a turning game you're back and forth not good on the knees mm -hmm. not natural it's not a natural movement uh, we haven't evolved that way i don't think um and so doing all these things you cause yourself damage as you get older it catches up with you yeah i i, I, I you know you said you started walking i mean I, i'm sort of responding to my own personal midlife crisis in a different way but also in a physical way so after spending most of my life thinking i won't be seen dead in a gym which i think is another kind of man thing uh, potentially but over the last three or four years i started going to the gym i stopped playing football for the reasons you've just explained because i just kept getting injured all the time as I've sort of um, inducted myself and educated myself into the gym, I started off by just kind of playing around with things and I didn't really know what I was doing. I started going to classes. I started getting more and more intense in classes. I actually started losing some weight and, and seeing some evidence that it was actually working. But I've got to the stage now as a sort of 
more clear kind of gym person in recognizing that as a man, I need to lift weights. Yeah. Now, this is not just about being strong and having big muscles, but there are physiological developmental reasons for this. And I think the point I'm trying to make is that actually men are different to women. Yes. I mean, apart from the obvious, but even just in terms of the kind of nurturing we need. So men do need to lift weight and it, and it, and it does feed your testosterone and your testosterone is important in your makeup as a man. And women need to do slightly different things. That's not to say we shouldn't be flexible and we shouldn't do yoga and actually I'm really unflexible and this is an issue I need to address, but that's another subject. But the point is that that there are some differences that we need to acknowledge that are literally physical differences there's there's an argument well there's a debate in society at the moment that men are men are under attack um in general um would you say it'd be better for us if we just accepted that times are changing roles are changing and we go with the flow there's no point um fighting things technology will maybe um ensure that the, the traditional roles are not the same. Mm-hmm. Um, child rearing can be looked at differently, you know, well, women can work, I mean, what I think about that is that I don't think there's anything to accept. I mean, let's face the facts, you know, men have had it pretty much their own way for a long time and have dominated women and society for a very long time. And I think we'll continue to do that for a very long time. I think that's a reality. However, you are right. There are changes. There are changes to technology which are a bigger threat to men than they are to women because one of the... I talked about physical differences, but I think there's also psychological or or mental differences to how we operate. And so men tend to be much more kind of mechanical, which means that we're lovely prey for the, the machines and technology. Women are more empathetic right they they have a different way of of doing things they have a different way of approaching things they have a different way of dealing with issues and that means that inevitably as as humanity develops and now we have this technology threat i think it's it's inevitable that you know that power balance will shift i ain't got a problem with it actually your dr ed you know is this an example i mean i don't know what dr ed's like but it, it's it's almost like we're you talking about a gender war but you know what are you talking about it's oh, almost no, yeah, like well, this is, I'll this tell is you it what, isn't I'll it tell you what, he was quite vociferous about that i was thinking wow well, is this how you feel i mean i don't necessarily feel the same way um but it just depends on your kind of the world, philosophical the world needs men world. and women you know i found out recently that in parts of India and in China, the two most populous countries in the world, I think I'm right in saying, there are something like 70 million more men than women. Is that right? right? So in India, because you have this whole thing about, it's all about sons, right? So historically, over all that time, you've now got yourself this massive imbalance problem. In China, the one child policy and also all about sons and you get this massive imbalance in society that takes a lot of years it's gone on for a lot of years that take a lot of years to correct you think about the issues in terms of you know relationships getting married having sex what are the implications for all of that um in our society and, I, and, and the only reason i bring that up is that i think the the, the big point i want to make on this thing about gender and men stronger than women and all this kind of stuff the bottom line is that we both need each other and the sooner men actually recognise that, I think the yeah, better. Yeah, I, th- I think the argument in the West is, um, 
the, the, the sign of an advanced society, in my opinion, is um, is how women do in that society. Yeah, um, I'd agree with that. Usually it's control of your um, uh, reproduction, um, your ability to work, and this sort of thing. And you compare it with more patriarchal societies, um, and you see a big difference. The argument here in the West is, is it going too far? Um, are men being replaced? That's the furor in the um, in the, well, in the, in the uh, media. As I say, it smacks of a lot of defensiveness and a lot of insecurity from men who control all the aces, have all the power, and as I say, my opinion will do for a long time. And actually, they could probably do with take being taken down a peg or two and getting a bit more equality in our world, in our society. We need our women and we need to have strong women. And certainly as a man, in terms of a partner, I'd like to think that I'm I, my partner will be a strong woman because I think that adds value to me and to my family. And that means, for example, I need someone who's prepared to challenge me. For example, that helps me. Another thing on this book, um, of, of some note, apart from the women, the, the only other people playing, doing anything, were a load of like under tens, training football training, which I thought was very good. Nice to see kids out. But as a society, are we are we are we maybe too preoccupied with football? Um, I love football, don't. I, I know you do, but as a society, um, do you think it's gone too far? Um, there are other things we should be looking at um, inequality if you like um, um, it's sport dunk no I, I appreciate that um, but you often you find even with men of our age that um, in social media all they do is talk about football it's a um, pastime it's a hobby it's uh, instead interest. of talking about more serious things um, like making positive change in well, society who, who, who is it is it is it is it Paisley which which one of them is it who makes a comment yeah, about it's Bill Shankly Shankly that's yeah. it it's, it's old Bill Shankly what is it you know it's more important than life and death yeah. and, I, and I suppose in response to what I think you're saying is that yeah there are more important things but equally it's like a microcosm it's 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 a way that um, it creates a framework for us to have debate and discussions about life. I ain't got a problem with that. Not not, not that I am saying it is more important than life than life and death. Don't get me wrong. But we're we're human beings. We have needs. We want to talk about stuff. We want to be entertained by stuff. We want to have ways to engage. It creates rivalry. You know. On the one hand, obviously, look. One of the things I'd say about football. <clears throat> is that um, in my life, I've come to recognise it's like a universal language. I've been so many weird and obscure situations where my knowledge and understanding of football has created an opening for me and has given me an opportunity to engage with someone. And I don't think that's a bad thing. OK. Um, well, now I'll tell you how I look at this sort of thing um, I got a football background as you have um, I don't I no longer watch the Premier League I don't watch um, either myself um, and the reason being was I don't no longer support a football team um, and the reason being is this up and down you know um, feelings on a Saturday there's your team one and this sort of thing apart from me not being particularly interested in it anyway and I thought I could spend my time being more constructive um, looking at other things and and you talk about rivalry and tribalism. Mm -hmm. um, and I think the tribalism um, in, in football, um, people support a certain club, they come from a certain area, this sort of thing, is something of a myth these days in, um, in British football. Um, 
the players uh, generally don't come from uh, the UK, not it's in the top flight. Mm-hmm. The clubs are often not, not owned by um, uh, foreign owners. I agree with all that. Um, and I, I, I don't quite see um, what you attach yourself to, what this, um, this symbolism is, because uh, um, it, it seems to be a myth. It, it's, it's, it's not quite what it appears. Yeah, I think, I think that's true. But I think, um, you know, people, I was going to say men, actually, but people... They, they need something to make meaning, right? Um, I remember working with uh, some guys a few years ago and um, <clears throat> they were talking about the rivalry between Newcastle and Sunderland. And they were from that neck of the woods, Mackhams, Geordies. And I found that something which, which will always be completely fascinating to me. They talked about uh, 1950s and the fact that in those times, if you was a Geordie, it would be unheard of, ridiculous and outrageous for you to have gone out with a woman who was a Mackham. It was just disgusting. It was just unheard of. In fact, I when I was up there at one point, I heard someone talk about the rivalry between Newcastle and Gateshead. And I'm like, I've been up there. It's the same bloody place. And the point is that these old rivalries which link back to dockyards and where jobs went and all that kind of history, okay, it's moved on. The club's owned by someone else. None of the players are either Geordies or Mackhams. But these people, you know, this thing that's been passed down from a father to a son to a son to a son, they've even forgotten that history that I'm talking about now. But those things are are what build communities and what, what, what bind people together in some respects. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm not against that. I'm just saying what's binding them is actually not what not what it makes out to be or purports to be. Yeah. It's something else. Yeah, um, yeah I, think, I think that's true. But, but, but isn't that always, or not always, isn't that often just the way? Well, is, is it? Yes. Um, I, it's I think, like race. I think, well, I think if you look at if you look at um, English football or British football, mm-hmm. it is the national sport. Yes, and yet only a third of the players now in the top level are actually from this country. It seems very odd to me. Um, yeah, I think where, where I think that is an issue. It, it's very odd. Um, I think that is an issue, and I think there's been a great betrayal of British football that we've just we've just capped on so much um, into the money. That we've forgotten where we're coming from, you know. Where are our young players coming through? Now, I say this, right? Mm-hmm. I say this thinking mm-hmm. that there's a very good chance we could win the next World Cup because all the signs are there. Yeah. You're doing well in those youth tournaments like that. It always seems to go that way. We've just we could have won the last World Cup, um, almost in despite of what we've done. Mm-hmm. Um, but we, we're very club centric. Um, we've got, given no thought to the national game. Mm-hmm. Grassroots football has declined massively. It will rise again because it's the nature of things. Things um, cyclical. Things change. Yeah, yeah. yeah, even for no reason. Yeah. However, um, there has been a betrayal, I think, of of uh, of, of, of of the country. Yeah. I do. I do. Um, actually, I do actually agree with that, Dunk. I do actually agree with that. However, all I'm saying is that. The reality is that it, it is like um, it is a reflection of society. So, from my point of view, I see all the concerns that I have about my life and the life of of people like me in this society with regard to race. I see it played out in football almost every moment I participate. And as I say, I'm a lover of football, and I'm lo- I'm I'm a lover of everything that football brings. But equally, 
it's like I can see that microcosm of society. So, you know, it 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 it, it does reflect the way society is. And what you're saying about the sellout, it's a reflection of the way society has sold out largely working class people actually and 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 this is a bit controversial but i it's what i think and the extent to which largely working class people have been complicit in allowing it to happen oh interesting complicit yeah absolutely i mean they they know who owns the clubs they know none of the players are, yeah. are british they know they still spend their money they still turn up forty thousand sunderland in the bloody league one they still turn up they're not rebelling they're not and they see the racism, they see what goes on, right? And they're quite happy to allow. So it's just, and, and, it, and it's to do with the powers that be and the way, the way we're kind of controlled. But the reality is, in many respects, we're actually complicit in it. So yeah, well, yeah, maybe we are, but maybe we should change because maybe that should change. Because if we're complicit, we can change things, can't we? It may be too late at the moment. I mean, where would you look to for role models in football? You'd probably look to Barcelona, where the fans um, apparently own a lot of the club in the german teams where it's like i think it's 50 percent of of each each um team has got to be owned by its supporters um ticket prices are there for a lot lower it strikes me as that's how it should be I've, and I've, if you look at if you yeah. look at spain and germany and the <laughs> football revolutions that they've had i mean spain changed football mm. that's that that set up barcelona mm -hmm. The tick attacker style, etc., and the Spanish national team. Suddenly, the small players back in fashion. Mm -hmm. um, it's a change in football, very impressive. Germany built a load of academies, just like the new one that we've built for the national team, all over the country. Mm -hmm. At one stage, they were gone. A proper footballing nation like them, suddenly, they're dominant for a period until it changes again, because there's always change in football. Um, but we could look towards more towards that model because you talk about the unity that um, football brings and all that. But what about the disunity? What about the what about the atmosphere inside football grounds? The toxicity of it all. Now we've had this recently um, with the Raheem Sterling incident. Mm -hmm. Now Raheem Sterling, he's a Brent boy, so we can you know it's good for us. We can talk about that. Yeah. Um, so he go the ball goes off. He goes to pick up the ball. He gets a load of abuse maybe race, racial abuse it looked like it but yeah. i think they're investigating it at the moment yeah um but the, the funny thing is is that happens in every ground in the country a absolutely it's, you know that's so normal it's <laughs> untrue you know this when you you go and take a goal kick and the and the chant like goes I said, up they're complicit in it the chant goes up uh your shit what is this nonsense yeah like, what is this nonsense and then i remember too what i had a season ticket at fulham about 10 years ago no about 15 years ago, with my son, I thought we'd go bonding when they were playing at QBR's ground. Yeah. And I remember they played Everton in the um, in some cup, and Rooney was playing, the young Rooney, 17, big like that, big back on him, you know, come from a boxing background, 17 or 18. And he come to, and I was and I was sitting right near the edge of the pitch, and he come to take a throw in, and this guy, guy behind me shouted out, Rooney, I hope you get cancer in your eyes. And I thought, well, look at that. He's a 17-year-old kid, even though I'm sure if he jumped into the crowd like a la Cantona, mm -hmm. things would have gone differently. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you think, is this how you carry on? What is wrong with you? What you would think would be normal people, normal dads, all that, carrying on this fashion, is it acceptable? I've never felt the need to, to abuse someone like that. Have you? No, but don't. I mean... I, is if, it acceptable? If, 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 I'm not saying it's acceptable. I'm saying it's real. You're trying to 
it's almost like you're saying this guy comes into the football ground and he turns into someone else. Yeah. I'm saying no. That is him. Oh, you think so? Of course it is. That's and that's my point. The the from my perspective, it's almost like it exposes stuff. So I'm sitting back and I can see all this racism which no one talks about. No, it's almost I hear it. I listen to the commentary. I listen to the subtleties of every, and then I think, yeah, I hear that at work. I hear that here. I see that there. You don't talk about it until Gillette puts a bloody thing out and then suddenly we can have a chat about it or Raheem Sterling raises it as an issue and gives you a blatant example of where it happens. It's happening every day. It's happening all the time. You know, these are the people who are in the pubs getting drunk, behaving badly. That's that's my opinion. I don't think football brings it out in people. I think football gives them a space to let out what's already in there. My, my experience is that football is a hotbed of racism. There's, there's something I want to say that I'm not going to say it because it's offensive, but I used to work for this guy, right? He, he owned a pub in Camden. He was a big Arsenal supporter, like a big like season ticket owner. And the reason I was working for him in this pub and it was, it was, um, it was Arsenal Tottenham playing. And uh, the pub was packed, it was a big day. It was like proper, proper football day in the pub. And Sol Campbell made a mistake in the match, which led to a goal. And this guy that I've worked for, that I knew quite well, I really liked him, thought he was a nice guy. He forgot himself. And he shouted out in, in the pub in front of everyone. I'm not even gonna shout what he what say what he said. You what he called what he what he called well I, I, I in fact I will say it. I will say it because it because it because it, it was so shocking. He, so Campbell made a mistake and he went, you need cunt, right? In front of everyone. And, and and the thing was, at that stage, Sol Campbell was playing for Arsenal. <laughs> he was playing for his team. Well, that's, that's, a bit, that's, a bit like, that's a bit like Ron Atkinson <laughs> right. syndrome, isn't it? Exactly. And you're like, wait a minute. Did you just... Say? And like, I looked at him. He looked at me. Do you know what he said to me? I looked at him because I was like, I was, I was like, I just, I was like rabbing the headlights. Like, I can't believe you just said that. He looked at me and went, it's all right. It's football. <laughs> that's what he said to me. And it's just kind of like... This is someone that I thought I knew, but that's what's lurking. Right. I mean, yeah. not far between the sur mm. below the surface, and football brought that out. And after that, it's right, Pascal. It's football, mate. It's not nothing personal. It's football. I get a lot of my Chelsea information from a, a friend of mine who's a season ticket holder. Okay, is it a and, friend of mine as well? Yeah, oh. and one of the things he always tells me is yeah. that the Chelsea support at home mm -hmm. is very different to the away support, which they have got a far-right element, um, you know, etc. when they're going to Europe. I mean, yeah. so the away support in Europe. Yeah. Um, now, now, this friend of mine, Chelsea supporter, um, let me describe him. Irish, um, both parents are Irish, very Irish looking. Does he um, have ginger hair? Ginger hair, freckles. If he leaves leaves his arm out of a it leaves his arm out of a car window on a sunny day in half an hour. He's <laughs> frazzled like a vampire, yeah, steam him. coming I out of the him. arm, burnt red raw. I know him. No toleration to sunlight. And yet he's come he's grown up in the same uh, culture as us. Uh, there's no greater lover of reggae music, Freddie McGregor in particular, no greater lover of West Indian culture, food, drink women. 
been going out with black girls all his life, bi-race children, biracial children, and a religious belief that I would say crosses Catholicism with Jar Rastafari. Right. He's got two Irish parents. He has his DNA tested, and what's the result? A 22% affiliation along one of two parental lines with where? I've forgotten now, but it's quite shocking. Come on, it's somewhere on the African continent. The Cameroon. The Cameroon. The Cameroon. Wow. All right, so what's my point here? Yeah. Um, my point here is... The Irish were the first blacks of Britain. Not exactly, not exactly. My point is that um, unless we do these things scientifically, we don't actually know where we're from, you know? We're making assumptions. Um, you see this on a lot of these American shows. They get like a, they get like one of the Klansmen on and it transpires he's 25% uh, black anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, we make these assumptions. We affiliate with certain cultures. We see ourselves in a certain way. Let's all get tested. Let's yeah. see where we're actually from. Um, because I think it's like 99.6% of us is exactly the same. These are real small differences. Yeah, I, I, I think that's probably true. But just going back to the tribal thing, people don't want to hear that. No, they don't, they don't want to. They, <laughs> you know what? You're right, you're that. right. They don't want to hear it. <laughs> Do you but... know what I mean? You, you Imagine, imagine like I, I, I like the, the hard... The hardest course of football supports that I know personally, apart from the one we've just talked about, season ticket, you know, home and away. But they're QPR fans. I know quite a few QPR fans, like proper. Yeah. And I'm just imagining. Let's say there was um, <clears throat> let's say there was um, DNA testing for Brentford. I'm, I've, I've got a picture of an individual in my head. Imagine he goes and gets himself tested and finds out he's 30% Brentford. I reckon he'd top himself. I reckon he would top himself. Have you had it done? Have you had it done? No, I haven't. I do want to get it done. My my wife has had it done, and uh, and did she find it illuminating? She did. She 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 found it illuminating in that she was she was spread um, all over Africa. Yeah. In terms of five percent, you know, Malawi. 3% 3% Lesotho and and when you think about it it makes absolute sense well I just think you know if you, if you want to like um, if you're going to say you're something let's see if you really are you yeah. know it's helpful so we know what we're, we know where we come from and maybe yeah. we're not you know so aligned with one place as yeah. we thought did, did, did you see that thing on um, first dates that bloke from our school I did that was fascinating wasn't it yeah it was very unusual very unusual so I mean I can't remember the detail of it but there's this guy who went to our school he appears on first day. I knew him from school. I didn't know him that well. Italian parents. Italian, two Italian heritage. Parents, yeah. Two or three Italian brothers. Yeah. Who 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 were looking very different from him. Um, and he asked his mum. Yeah. Um, am I Italian? Is that my dad? And she said yes. Yeah. Um, dad died. Mum died. He had no one to ask. He did a DNA test, and yeah. he's fifty um, percent from the. West Africa, uh, yeah, from the African yeah. Uh, continent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that must happen a lot. Yeah, well, what in they, different ways. What did I say? Is it, is it like is it like twenty five percent of um, children uh, uh, aren't fathers are, are yeah. different from those on the yeah. on the on the birth certificate? Yeah, I just think it's it's helpful if we if we look at race and society. Let's be logical about these things. Let's be clear. Let's be clear. We make you know we've got a lot to say on certain issues. Let's be clear where we're actually coming from. There's a there's a there's a there's a program, uh, kind of history of Scotland thing, and the historian there is like a super Scot, looks like a wild picked, got long hair and all that and a ponytail and all that. He had it done. He's half Albanian. 
Right. You know. Okay. Yeah. Or or twenty five percent. You go. Wow, that's interesting. You know. Yeah. yeah. I, I, absolutely. I, yeah, I agree with you. I think. I think. I think it. You know. Actually, it's it, the more the more you're talking and the more I'm actually thinking as we're talking, it should be compulsory. You know, like I'm British. Yeah. My well, nationality. Well, c- could you have something in your passport that actually says, "Well, what are you really?" And you can still be British because you know we're British but actually I think that could help to break down a lot of issues but as I said before using the example the analogy of my my QPR support in May I don't think people want to know that oh don't you no I, I, no I must admit I'm, I'm reasonably fascinated by it all well you might be that's because yeah. you're the enlightened working class <laughs> <laughs> the rest of the working class and probably most other people think too much information so they can be what they want to be. They can sign up with whichever team suits them. And actually, often they sign up with the powerful team. You know, um, now we're getting into this. You know, there was that whole thing in the um, it's sort of 1940s and, and 30s and 50s America of passing for white. Oh, absolutely. You know, so you might have a child and, and your child could just about getting away with white. You like push them out there, go away, go and live with a white person, just have a better life, mate. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and that is the reality. Well, it's, what did I say? It's, I think it's Brazil, isn't it? Where there's like various ra- racial classifications that yeah. go down to like a ridiculous level, yeah. like 120 yeah. of them or, or whatever. Octoroon, this, that, right. that, yeah. Oh, right. yeah. This is an interesting yes. subject, actually, yes. right? Yes, so, yeah. so, so people don't want to know that because... Right. So what's an octoroon? Uh, don't right well i know what it is <laughs> good right? i'm glad you do right, so i know kind of what it is but i don't know exactly what okay, percentage i'll give you a, i'll give you a little interesting fact here. okay thanks um in the police notebook mm-hmm. um which the policeman writes his notes in yeah um how do you know this by the way um because of my i've had a spell in the old bill all oh, right okay um, years ago um but in the 80s and uh, early 90s in the notebook, you have identity codes, mm-hmm. you know, like so. IG1. I see. I see. Identity Sorry. codes. I, identity... I, I didn't used to be in the right. old bill. Obviously. So, identity code one is um, uh, white Northern European. Mm-hmm. Um, identity code three is um, black, uh, yeah. Negroid, if you like. Yeah. Um, but it used to say in the notes um, included mulattoes, mm-hmm. quadroons, mm-hmm. octoroons. Wow. And you thought I thought well now I know I know what all this is but I'm sure most police don't know what this means yeah. so like you know this, these are these are racial these I are, thought these were really the, offensive terms I can't are, believe they were used in a formal these way are, these are these are slavery classifications yes. so a quadroon is a quarter black right uh, octoroon is an eighth black right okay um, and a mulatto is a Half, half yeah, so they yeah, actually yeah. say this in the it notes, said it, so right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so, so this so, is really so you interesting. Think, so, what would happen is you would go, um, you get someone who's mixed race, mm-hmm. uh, black and white. Um, so you think they'd be, they'd call them like a, um, an IC three. Yeah. But they actually call them IC three and a half. Did they? In slang term. Yeah, but the thing Police is, slang. but the thing is, because this is a debate. So why are they not IC one then? Or IC one and a half. Yeah, why are they not? Exactly. Yeah, because it's this it's is all the this one drop power concept, dynamics, isn't it? Isn't one it? drop of black exactly. blood. Yeah, it's yeah, all yeah. this power dynamics yeah. well, that once you open the race book or the race um, can of worms, you get into. Well, the interesting thing with that is, um, with all this, you think it's in the it's in the notes. No, I'm sure, like I'm sure, like ninety percent at least, the police officers will have no idea what this means. 
they've got no idea because no one talks like that. It's not in modern society, but yet it's still I, there. I, I can't actually I believe mean, they changed it, it after there. a bit. I know, it's very strange. Yeah. Um, another thing, right? So just on this same theme, every, every school year um, with your children, when you go to school, and they've got the these days they have the boxes, don't they, for racial classification? Mm-hmm. So I'd go with my kids, my two daughters, or my son, and um, I'd go I'd go and see the secretary or whatever, and we go through the list, and they give you the options. Now my kids, um, their mother's mixed race, so they're a quarter West Indian, quadroon if you like, mm-hmm. um, but they got every classification in the world there, but nothing for this. All you've got is um, you've got white. Um, mixed white and Afro-Caribbean mixed white and African mixed white and Indian um, and I'd say well where's the classification here you've got like um, you've got you've got you've got various you've got various types of traveler all sorts of things in there mm-hmm. uh, where is it and they would say well you know it's not there and you think well why isn't it there we've had a we've had a we've had a we've had a West Indian community here in a large one since the 50s obviously things are going to change you know mm-hmm. and you don't have that classification and yet you've got classifications for people arriving newly in the country in the last 20 years why and we'd have a little argument my daughters would be really embarrassed and um that'd be that uh although i'm saying in your passport maybe it should put all your racial classifications out of your dna you know uh in australia <clears throat> i think i'm right in saying in your passport it doesn't say whether you're Mr, Miss, or Ms. And that's partly to do with, I don't know if you can call it this, but the, the, the transgender agenda. And the whole point about actually, do I need to know what your gender is? And in a way, and, I'm, and I am trying to draw this to a conclusion, you know, do we really need to know what people's race is? I know what they say, you have to see how certain um people are suffering or underperforming in, in, in yeah it's in meant to be fields. a way of monitoring it yeah however but, uh, does it make it yeah, more yeah. is it does it create more of a problem than it actually solves so my daughters are my daughters are a quarter black when do they become white if they, if they when do their children become white hmm. you know if they then become an eighth or a sixteenth but well, what's that all about but, it's ridiculous but, 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 but the it? thing that fascinates ridiculous. me all the time about when i even listening to you talk is that it's a quarter black. Yeah, but you could yeah, say but it's were, three quarters white. Yeah, but if they were three quarters black, I would go the other way. Exactly. I was just doing it like easily. Um, I don't know. I'm so not if sure. I went, if I, was, if uh, I went three, if you're going to kind yeah. of... If, if what you, you might have done, but my point is that society doesn't. It yeah. is definitely your point about one drop. You yeah, well, it's one it, drop. It, that, that's the issue. White is fine. It is one drop. But you that's know, a problem. You could say, we could celebrate these things, couldn't we? We could celebrate this. Yeah, look, at, look at the England football team. And also, I'd I done a talk this morning, funny enough, about um, about population numbers in my area. And I said to people, what 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 um, what racial group do you think is the, 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 the fastest growing and will in the future be the fastest growing? And we had Romanian, Somalian, this, that, 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 that. I said, no, it's mixed. And when I said it, everyone was like, obs because it's obviously the way things are going.